And I've got check marks, Cato. That means uh, that means we're live. Um, okay. And so just waiting here now for a few people to start filing in. Uh, it's going to be an exciting show. We're going to be talking about small business loans. We're going to be talking about peer-to-peer -peer lending. We're going to be talking about FX. And we're going to be talking about moving money around different currencies between different countries. Um, it's going to be interesting. And I'm going to run the intro as I see people are starting to file in here. One second. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses while controlling risk. So, if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So, be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us this today. I've got Cato Pastal from LendingLoop.ca. How are you doing today, Cato? Great. And yourself? I'm I'm doing really well. And I'm, I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you today because uh, very rarely do we get to speak to anyone who actually has a behind-the-scenes uh, view and opinion of of what happened in 2020 with you know the lockdowns and everything and the impact that it had on small businesses. Um, I, personally, I was aghast when the government just started to close down whole sectors of the economy. I, I understood that there would be knock-on ramifications that would be hard to imagine. You know, like the you know inflation, supply chain issues, manufacturing issues, microchip issues, all these things that were that we're suffering from today. Um, all stem from from some of those activities that were happening back then, and I thought I think the best thing for us to do is just to start off and have you introduce yourself to the to everyone. Uh, why don't you tell us who you are and what Lending Loop is, uh, and we'll start at that point. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, my name's Kato Pastel. I'm uh, one of the co-founders. I'm the CEO. Um, of the company. Um, and we originally, as you said, were founded a, a business called Lending Loop, which is essentially a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, marketplace or loan platform. What we, we do is we basically allow individual investors, so people like yourself and myself, to invest or lend money uh, to small companies that are seeking growth financing or growth capital. So companies you know, all over Canada would be looking to expand their business, open new locations, buy inventory, um, do renovations, all that type of stuff. Um, and they have a hard time getting access to that capital from some of the traditional players because they're too small, um, too asset light in terms of the type of business that they operate. And so what we did is we created a marketplace that made facilitation of capital up easier so that those businesses could access uh, financing and funding. Um, and lots has happened since then, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that uh, further in the show. And, and you know, just for everyone's curiosity, um, I mean, I had you on the show when you first got underway, and that was several years ago. And probably around 2018, I signed up and started to become a Lending Loop investor. And I was just curious about the whole process. So I started to put $25 into different loans <laughs> as they came up in the marketplace just because I wanted to see what would happen and see, you know, and over the course of time, you know, I got to experience people, you know, steadily paying off their loan. I got to see a few people get behind on their payments and then get caught up. Um, only had one case of somebody, you know, sort of defaulting and not, not paying it back. But then I was curious to see how it would unfold, like what the process would look like. Um, and then the pandemic hit 
And, you know, initially I thought, oh my goodness, all bunch of these businesses are going to have a hard time paying their loans. And some more of them did get behind for my own portfolio. But what surprised me was the number of loans that suddenly got paid off. Can, can you share a little bit about what sort of happened on your side? Because I, I would imagine the pandemic was one thing, and then the government response to the pandemic led to a whole other series of events that probably had a, an impact on on the loan portfolio there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and to your point, um, my, my thought initially in March 2020 was the same as yours, which was, you know, uh, my next my next year, months and years ahead are going to be about managing defaults. But um, what ended up transpiring was 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 quite different to that. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, with, with all the, the government shutdowns that occurred, you know, the demand for capital immediately disappeared because companies were no longer looking for growth capital or growth financing. The need for companies to do expansion or the will for companies to even expand their businesses essentially disappeared overnight as they were kind of you know, forced to, to close their doors. And so. The immediate thing we saw was, you know, applications and volumes of, of requests just kind of you know, fell through the floor. Um, following that, you know, there was definitely a lot of uncertainty for for the, the next few weeks as companies were thinking, you know, into the coming months, what was going to happen. Um, and, you know, there were definitely companies calling us saying, you know, what are we going to do about this? Can we, you know, is there the possibility of payment deferrals? And so we were getting a ton of having a ton of conversations with companies along those lines, hundreds of, and hundreds of, of those conversations on a weekly basis. And ultimately, as we now know, what you know, happened relatively soon after was the government stepped in with a number of different programs, starting really with the the SIBA program, which was this kind of $40,000 interest-free loan, which essentially any company was eligible to receive. And that just basically poured capital into the, into the business community and into the market um, at that specific point in time. Um, many companies use that as a survival or lifeline. A lot of companies didn't need that capital. And so they just had an influx of capital and started repaying their loans, which is what you were describing. So we saw a big influx of repayment activity where companies, you know, got financing from the government interest free. They were sitting on cash and were like, you know, I'm, I'm obviously going to um, pay out my interest bearing facilities and, and keep my interest free ones. Right. So we saw a pay down of, of the book and, and many companies start to you know think about different ways to finance their business going forward. The one one last thing I'll add there is that unfortunately for us um, and, and we'll get into kind of what that meant for our business, but unfortunately for us, uh, the government chose not to include us in in any of those programs, at least from facilitating them, which is quite different than the experience of our peers in the U.S. and the U.K., Australia. All of those markets involve the fintech lenders in the participate mm -hmm. or distribution, basically all of the, these kind of you know government-backed loan programs. Um, the U.S. notably, the PPP program was kind of broadly distributed by fintech companies. Here, it was solely distributed by the big banks. Um, and so as a result of that, you know, that, that actually was negative, negative, rather than positively impacting your business, it quite um, drastically negatively impacted our core business. And and I want to draw uh, everyone's attention to, to some key words that you said there. You talked about the demand for growth capital because uh, Lending Loop is not a platform where anyone can just put up a loan request. They have to go through a little bit of an underwriting process. You have to approve the the their access to the marketplace of investors uh, why don't you touch a little bit about on that about what you look for because it's not just anyone who wants to start a business or buy a business or anything like that that can that can access this marketplace of investors you have to meet certain criteria correct yeah you 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 hit the nail on the head there and um 
what we basically, you know, what we saw was not necessarily a decrease in demand to your point for just capital, because there are a lot of companies that were maybe like looking for survival capital. But for us, you know, we put every business that applies through a rigorous uh, adjudication process or underwriting process where we buy assess the credit risk of that company. And so, you know, the, the, the shift happened where companies that were looking for growth financing, which is kind of what we you know, mainly supported, disappeared and so we were left with kind of companies that were looking for you know essentially stopgap or emergency financing which is really not what our, our platform was built to support that's what programs like you know the SIBA program and the BCAP program mm. were, were built to support so we ended up referring uh, a lot of companies in that category to other financial institutions who could you know provide capital to those companies for that specific need so and 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 now we're talking it's may of 2022 it's been more than two years ha have things started to change on that front are you starting to get more applications come in well i mean we we as, as i'm sure we'll get into you know we've launched a number of new products for our business and so even even last year in 2021 we started to see a pretty big change in in business uh, as we kind of shifted our focus from an industry perspective um but you know Talking specifically to you know the kind of traditional SME um, cohort, I'd say it's been kind of lumpy. Um, I, I would definitely say we're we're into the recovery phase, but I wouldn't say by any means that it's back to where it was kind of pre the pandemic. So you know we definitely we've seen kind of ebbs and flows as restrictions come and go. Um, the longer a restriction is gone for, we definitely see you know a, a gradual kind of recovery in terms of like business requests for financing. Um, but we're we're still not at this stage seeing the same level of demand, you know, in, in May 2022 as we were in you know February 2021. Um, but um, you know, generally speaking, for our business, we're now providing other streams of financing. So you know, overall, um, from from a financing perspective, you know, we're we're kind of now back to kind of standard operations. I would say from our from our, our own business perspective. So part of the work that I do is people hire me to analyze companies and and figure out what companies might be worth, et cetera. And, um, and probably towards the, the middle or end of 2020, I actually had my first opportunity to analyze a company that had a an outstanding lending loop loan on its balance sheet. Very cool. and, <laughs> and it was very interesting. And um, I spoke with the owner of the business and he, he told me it was his third lending loop okay. loan. And he was involved in construction as a subtrade. And so whenever he bid on these large uh, multi-million dollar projects, it, it exceeded his own ability to float, you know, the, the cash flow of those deals. And so he had learned that Lending Loop was a good place to go and he borrowed from there. And then eventually, once the general contractor and all the holdbacks and everything was released, he would get his money, he would pay off the loan. And, then, and he was on his third try at doing that and had, had great success with it over time. Yeah, um, that, that funnily enough, that's actually... Well, was one of the more popular ways through which people uh, access financing through us. So I'd say probably about 20% or so of, of, of our loans kind of fell into that category um, of kind of, you can kind of call it like hold back financing um, because as you said, you know, they work on a project, but they have to wait to get paid on it. And and so, and they also have to put a lot of upfront capital investment into to getting the job done. So that, that is definitely a, a, a quite a, a common use case for, for financing. We've got some uh, some people filing in. We've got Kevin uh, joining us from Central Florida. Good to see you, Kevin. And uh, as always, everyone, if you put some comments in there, uh, Cato and I will eventually will get to them and we'll be able to answer your questions as we as we move along here. Um, and so, so I asked you about you know how things were changing 
and you were talking about how you know sort of the demand is kind of, of kind of kind of lumpy in your underwriting process or have you become more sensitive to businesses that might be affected if there's ever another you know mandate or, or shutdown of businesses like I, you know a lot of people around the world are kind of acting like c19 is behind us but it, it's sort of now this this new th business threat that no one ever thought of before of course but now everyone in the back of their head is kind of like well, do I invest, you know, in growing my business or expanding my business? What if, you know, I always say it's the Decepticon variant is going to come along, right? And and suddenly these rules are going to come back. Is that something that you are now thinking about when you're underwriting these deals? Yeah, absolutely. I would say like generally, um, you know, unfortunately from a business perspective, but it's just the reality of the world that we're in right now. Um, you know, we, we had to make that decision very early on. So, you know, way back in March, April 2020, as we kind of like figured out how we were going to continue to land, despite the fact that the, the volumes were lower, um, you know, through that period, we definitely made a lot of adjustments to the way that we, we looked at risk. And really what that comes down to is just kind of weighting certain variables from an underwriting perspective, perhaps more heavily than we would have before, which are related to things like what's the impact of a shutdown and um, what is our um, risk appetite, you know, just from a total risk perspective, I would also say, you know, if there are companies that were like more on the fringe of, of financing and I'll, I'll, to be specific for the, from the lending perspective, um, the way that, you know, if you go back to our, I probably spoke about this in our interview, you know, five years ago, but um, we have a grading system that rates businesses from A through to E. And so, you know, like your A, B and C companies, just to, to, to put perspective on that, will probably still be able to just get financing through us. But, you know, your DE companies definitely will, will unfortunately have a harder time just because, you know, of the nature of the risk of the environment has to be reflected in our underwriting models. Right. So we definitely have become a little bit more tight when it comes to adjudication, both on a specific, you know, industry by industry basis, but also just on a broad based scale, because, I do I do still anticipate, even despite the fact that these loan programs came in from the government and that was all this emergency subsidies and funding, at some point we are going to continue to see an increase in delinquencies within, uh, you know, the, the traditional SME market. That That's just the kind of nature of um, what happens when you go through a business cycle. And I think we're kind of trending a little bit towards that right now. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, in fact, is and, and thanks for bringing up the the grading system because you've got like A, B, C, D, E, and then there's pluses and minuses. I think as well for some yeah. people. Um, so when you set up that grading system, you obviously created some sort of uh, risk measurement matrix points or something like this, and you probably had a certain expectation of default or or delayed payments, etc., with each, each asset class. So I wanted to ask you when the the lockdowns occurred and everything, um, like how how accurate did your system turn out to be? I mean, did people behave within the parameters of your expectations uh, of your initial risk rating system? Yeah, I would say it's been consistent uh, pre pre lockdowns, but also during the pandemic as well. So. Um, you know, if you look at our loan performance data, which, which we post all of this publicly, so it's, you know, it's, it's out there for everyone to see, but, um, you know, the, the grading system works in the sense that, uh, you know, our A plus companies have the, the lowest default rates and our, our E companies have the highest default rates. I would say also the other thing we saw is that, you know, your DE categories, your kind of like highest risk businesses 
um, which tend to represent companies that have a lot of leverage already. Like that, I mean, that's not, I don't like to categorize only one specific variable that puts someone in a DE bucket, but that is something that I would say like is a general mm. categorization. Um, those companies definitely, we saw, you know, disproportionately a higher increase in delinquencies and defaults, you know, over the last few years, um, as things have transpired, but that wasn't even necessary. Like I would say it was already starting to trend that way, you know, even in 2019, that, that it was a little bit higher. And so what we've seen is actually like, you know, our ABCs kind of are, have been above expectations and then our Ds and Es have been, you know, at or below expectations from a performance perspective. But um, all, all of that comes in to say that, you know, the grading system obviously worked and, and on, a, on an absolute basis, kind of the system works that worked as it was intended to and continues to work as it was intended to. Um, but I, I think, you know, any any kind of uh, cyclical events tend to impact those that are most, you know, on the kind of fringes or, or highest leverage at highest risk of defaulting disproportionately higher than others. And that was another reason that we made that decision, like I said, to kind of tighten lending even more so for those that are on that, uh, you know, outer side of the spectrum and concentrate our efforts on kind of continuing to provide the service to, to higher qual credit quality companies. And, and you know, since the pandemic, has uh, the awareness in the SME community about this option uh, continued to grow? Like, are you, are you seeing that this is a growing business or are you still kind of uh, in the shadow of the, of the big banks and more traditional kind of finance operations? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that almost segues in a bit to what, what we're kind of working on next, but I mean, I, I, you know, just to quickly try, try address like the, the, the question directly. Um, I, I would say like we were definitely challenged by the fact that, like I said, the government programs were not administered through us. I think that was definitely a big blow or, or hit to the sector. Um, and obviously very disappointing given that it happened in all these other countries in the world, right? So I would say that definitely did not help uh, build any awareness or did not help build credibility to, to the sector at all. Um, and so uh, as a result, um, we decided to kind of, you know, start to broaden our product offering to go beyond just offering, you know, credit and financing to companies, but rather offering a, a wider variety of services really fundamentally to try to become the primary financial relationship that uh, companies have, right? I think historically, you know, as a lender, people 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 often viewed us at a point in time or need um, of like you know I need a loan now like you said like you know I have a, I have an immediate capital need um, so I'll go search uh, for capital options and so you've got to be there at the right place at the right time with the right rates and the right deal structure to get a deal done um, and I think we have the ability now to build a much deeper relationship that goes beyond capital and that that really kind of like is is, is one of the key reasons that we decided to kind of broaden our, our product offering. We've got a comment here from Chris. He says, thanks for the great conversation and information. Thanks thanks for joining us live, Chris. And and again, anyone uh, put comments in uh, and questions, Cato and I will be getting to them as we move on. But so let's talk about that. You're expanding. You started off just in the, in the debt and lending field for small businesses. Now you want to have a, a greater financial relationship. So when I think of a bank, you know, uh, my business has a bank account, obviously, and and I'm in there all the time and it's money's coming and going and it's a place where payments arrive. And, and, uh, you know, I go in there and I've got a credit card and I, I pay that off and stuff. So are, are you, did you make it your goal to try to emulate that kind of functionality that people are getting from the big bank and, and find a way for you to do it in a, in a better way? 
uh in a sense yes um and so as you can probably see from my my name here on the on the bar lending loop has become loop and and so with 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 loop which is kind of our new platform that we've developed um we're offering far more than just credit or lending we we now offer the ability for you to get paid in different currencies so you, you have the ability to actually receive money into your accounts with us you can make payments anywhere in the world from those accounts and what's really important like is we make this process of getting paid and making payments, which is basically what you use your bank for in, in a nutshell, a lot more seamless um, with a lot more friction and at a much lower cost than you would usually incur using a traditional uh, financial institution. So, you know, just to give you an example, many companies today, uh, this is a small but silly thing. Um, you know, if you need to wire money to a supplier in the U.S., you've got to go travel into your bank branch, um, go, go ask the teller to make a payment. They charge your $50 wire fee. They charge a 3% markup on your FX fee. All these crazy things just to, like, make a simple payment. And so those are the exact type of things that we are trying to eradicate um, from the current way that kind of banking is done and provide a platform that makes it much easier to run your business overall. And so by doing that, we hope that companies will trust us to kind of manage a broader set of their finances than just purely, you know, when, they, when they're looking for capital. Yeah, well, I mean, I, listen, uh, let me tell you the story of me and, and my books. I mean, I've got several different books up on Amazon and I get paid royalties uh, from Amazon in US dollars. And, um, Originally, I had set them up so that it would be deposited into a bank account I have here in Canada, not fully understanding everything that was going on. And when I sat down and analyzed it, uh, I, I realized that my own bank and the FX fees and the markup on the fees like you're talking about, it was costing me like an extra 4% off the top just to have the money deposited in my bank account here. Whereas if I were in the United States, um, it would come through as an ECH payment. There'd be no fees at all. And so, I mean, this was years ago. I set this up probably six or seven years ago. Um, I actually drove to Maine, Holton, Maine, and, and went into the um, Machias Savings Bank and I opened up a bank account there. And now those royalties get deposited there. But that was, you know, the solution available to me at the time. And from and and now, I guess with with Loop, I'd be able to have a Loop account. The money would be deposited somewhere in the states, but then it would be within the purview of my control immediately. Correct? Yeah, you you, you got it. And and just to kind of like build on this, th this problem that you're kind of speaking to is a very pervasive problem for any company that is either an importer or exporter, which Canada has a whole lot of. Because as a Canadian company, with it being a relatively small market. Oftentimes you're either importing, you know, inputs for your company from other markets, you know, whether it's from China or from parts of Europe or other parts of Asia to kind of like build you know, the, the products or, or services that you're creating and vice versa, because small market um, you know, companies are also often exporting their products or services to other markets, selling stuff down into the U.S. So this problem, um, when it comes to our financial system, not being a you know, inherently global financial system, you know, our, our banks are, are native to Canada is a really big problem for a lot of entrepreneurs and, and ends up in a lot of friction and a lot of wasted time. Um, you know, some of the stories that I often tell from people I spoke to, which are crazy, but uh, unfortunate is, you know, during the heights of the pandemics as company of the pandemic, as companies were, you know, struggling to figure all this out, they were calling their bank and asking what they should do to get their USD 
payments into an account and they would say, you know, drive down to Buffalo uh, to the to the to the branch over there. Um, difference uh, during the pandemic was the border was closed. So it was like, thanks for the thanks for the advice. I actually can't cross the border because I'm not allowed to right now. Um, so, you know, th this problem of kind of managing your money in a cross-border way, getting paid in the U.S., keeping it in U.S. dollars, being able to make payments to people outside of the country is a really big issue for a very broad set of companies. And so that is like the, the specific problem that we've chose to focus on or target because it's something that traditional banks do particularly badly. And it's something where we feel we can offer a really compelling point of differentiation to save people time and money, frankly, when it comes to doing their day-to-day -day banking. Yeah, because I mean, when you when you think traditionally about a bank, I mean, originally it was a safe place to keep your money, um, and then it was also, well, you know, we're going to earn interest on our deposits. Well, we don't earn interest on deposits really anymore, and you know, like uh, like if people operate within loop with their money. Um, the money ultimately is in banks somewhere else, right? It's just it's controlled through a system that you've built that kind of lays on top of those accounts, correct? Yes, you, you got it. So yeah, when 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 your money is stored in our platform, we're, we're not a bank ourselves. So we have third party uh, kind of banking relationships that we have that, um, you know, essentially your, your funds are stored and secured with that financial institution. So through, through mechanisms called safeguarding, which is basically meaning that like, you know, you, your money is in a segregated account with that financial institution. So it's, it's held for your benefit, um, ultimately meaning that it, it almost effectively is very similar to you having an account with that bank, but you get the benefit of a, a really user-friendly UI, no fees, a fully digital interface, something that's far, far more, uh, you know, user-friendly and cost-effective to use than you would get with the bank. Um, but on the back end, you know, the reality is that your money is actually still stored with with a bank, right? So your money is actually still being stored in a financial institution, within um, a tr like a trust account structure. It's not. Yeah. It's not in Cato's bank account. Correct. Like it's actually, you know, t technically speaking, it's called like a an FBO for the benefit of account, which basically okay. means like that account is essentially uh, is is held for the benefit of that underlying client, right? So it's know for the benefit of david or of david's company right um so this is a, this is a, it's not a it's not a, it hasn't been really used in this sense that we're using it but it's it's not a new concept by any means it's been been around for for quite a while particularly in the u.s it's kind of newer to canada um but but it's definitely a structure that's used many times especially with like correspondent banks and and banks holding money on on deposit for other banks because oftentimes you know when banks are moving money across borders they don't have their own banking license in a certain country so they they will use this structure as well you know a canadian bank might use a you know correspondent in the bank in the u.s to hold money for their clients so it's kind of the same model that we're using the only difference being that we are not a bank but we're leveraging that bank's ability to hold that money so uh, a company that sets up on loop they'll be able to receive funds in uh was it four different currencies pounds euros us and canadian dollars right now is correct yes yeah. you got it so they can receive currencies and then they can swap the money between the different currency buckets basically just with exchange not with any other fees correct correct yeah exactly so you can you know you have us dollars you can convert them into canadian uh euros or pounds correct and then as far as using the money spending it you've also got some neat tools and uh, i think you're set up on the mastercard platform correct yeah so, exactly so why don't you tell us about that about about the the maneuverability of the different cards because people can just just create new cards very easily even for um 
for or for single purposes, correct? Yeah. So once you have money with us, um, there's a few different ways that you can use it. So you have money in your Loop account. It's actually, by the way, you know, it's it's very easy to also move money in from a bank account. So let's just say you have a bank account in Canada and you want to move money into our platform because you get all the the, the convenience of using it in our platform. You can click a button and we can automatically move money from you know a bank account in Canada into your, your Loop account with us. Um, but once it's in there, you can actually do a few different things with it. So one thing is you can actually pay a supplier anywhere in the world um, at no fee whatsoever. So um, what you can do is like, let's just say you've got US dollars and you need to make a payment to someone in the US for advertising or to buy inventory. We can send the money via, via ACH for you for free locally in that market. And that's a same day transaction too. So really seamless, really cost effective. Oftentimes the difference is, you know, waiting a couple of days, going into a branch and paying $50 to your bank, we can literally give you the ability to do that with one click and no fee, right? So that's one example of something we can do. Um, another example of something we can do is make international payments for you. So let's say you need to pay a supplier uh, in China, you can convert that money through our platform into Chinese RMB, and then you can actually initiate that payment in a couple of clicks, and the money will be sent within one day to that to that supplier as well. So you can make really seamless payments anywhere in the world, whether it's locally or internationally through our platform. Um, like I said, all from the comfort of your computer. Uh, and then we've also created a multi-currency MasterCard product, um, which is kind of what you're alluding to, which is a really interesting product. Um, so th this is this is very unique. I don't believe anyone else has created a product like this. Basically, what we allow you to do is you can create um, cards through our platform in uh, kind of a single account. So you will have one account. Like, let's just say you create one card. That, that card underneath that card will actually have multiple currency balances associated with it. So normally you get your card statement and it says, you know, you owe 5,000 Canadian dollars, right? Um, and if you spend in US dollars, it gets converted on, into Canadian dollars and your card company charges three to 4% as a markup, right. meaning, you know, if the exchange rate's 1.3, they'll actually show it on your card statement as 1.33 or 1.34. With our product, when you spend in US dollars, it shows up on our statement as you spent 100 US dollars. So you're not paying that back in Canadian dollars. You're actually paying it back in US dollars. It and stays in its native currency. You got it. So um, it's one of the first kind of you know credit products to be able to offer the ability to spend in different currencies and natively repay in that currency with no FX, not FX fees, no FX conversion at all. So you know the money actually stays natively in those balances. Right. So so if you have a company that's uh, got uh, purchases and customers paying you in Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars. You can you can just like, um, what do you call that? Like self hedge. You can you can just be yeah. maintaining you know the the Canadian stuff and the U.S. stuff and keeping them separate and and moving money back and forth as as little as you can get away with. Um, and that's that's really interesting. I I actually I know companies that try to avoid currency risk by trying to offset inputs and outputs um, it, it, in the same rough amounts so that if the dollar moves, they, they know that they got money coming in and money going out kind of in the same volume. Yeah. Um, and this would make that really easy to manage. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, j just some examples of this, like from an industry perspective, like, you know, the e-commerce vertical, which is like a big focus for us is um, one that this is really evident in. And I'll give you the example why. You know, oftentimes you are, you know, 
spending money um, in the US. So you're paying for inventory or maybe you're even paying for Facebook ads, right? To, to advertise your business on Facebook. When you're doing that in the US, you're actually paying in US dollars, right? Um, but many of these companies are actually selling product into the US and earning US dollars. So today what's happening is they're selling that product in US dollars. It's getting sent back to their bank account in Canada. They're paying an FX fee that's usually between three and 5% on that, as you, as you were talking about earlier yeah. with your Amazon royalties. And then they're using their card to spend on Facebook and they're adding another 3% on top of that. So it's they're actually paying that that 3 to 5% twice. And so they're losing 8% of every dollar that they're spending on on their advertising because they're converting it from US to Canadian and then back from Canadian to US. And we essentially for that company eradicate that entire pain point and all of those losses. Yeah. And, and you know, you and I were talking a little bit before, and this is why you've, you're sort of targeting that specific industry because you can just yeah. see how much value you're able to add to that particular group. Exactly. Yeah. Because, because this is a problem for, for that, you know, for the e-commerce industry that is, like I said, it's, it's super pervasive. It's, it's all, you know, 90 plus percent of companies are import or export within that segment because typically, you know, let's say you start a Shopify store, um, the default now is actually to like enable sales globally. You know, the default used to be, I believe, you know, it would start you up in Canada and you could go in and activate other markets. Now I think the default has switched to, you know, you start a Shopify store, you're actually like day one, your, your product is available internationally. And so um, when companies are selling internationally, this problem, you know, hits them right away. And so that's why we think it's a really good fit for the product that we're building because we can save those companies significant amounts to their bottom line. Like when you add this all up, you know, you know, the number I, you know, it sounds small when I say a hundred dollars, but you know, if you're doing this on a, on a daily basis and you're collecting thousands of dollars in revenue day and making thousands of dollars in expenses a day, you know, this can be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of losses as you, as you grow a company. And, and we can, we can kind of eliminate all of those losses for, for an e-com business. Um, when we, let, let's talk about the MasterCards again. You were talking about how you yeah. have multi currency cards, um, and within your platform, you can create new card numbers is e very easily correct. And you have yeah. virtual as well as plastic. Yeah, you got it. So, yeah. um, yeah, that, that's that's something. So, I was mentioning that's all multi currency, and one of the cool things is that you can act because these are business cards, it's essentially what we call a corporate card program. Um, so even if you're a really small business, you still get the benefit of this. Even if you're just getting started, what we allow you to do is with a click, create unique card numbers for different use cases. You can define what those use cases are. So those use cases might be different employees on your team. Those use cases might be different suppliers you have. They might be different advertising channels you have. Maybe you want to give a card to an agency and we give you that control for a couple of reasons. One. With those unique card numbers, it makes it really easy to turn into uh, turn spending on and off. So let's say you have, a, let's say you give a card to an agency, and then all of a sudden you have an issue with that agency. You can literally go into our platform, click a button, and say, "I want to freeze this card." All the rest of your spending continues as normal, which is a big problem with traditional cards. Usually, if you have a normal credit card, right, with a with a bank, you freeze that card, everything stops, and you got to deal yeah. with the hassles and nightmare of like, now my card's not working. With us, you can create specific cards for specific things and, and manage that card that way. Second benefit is from an expense management and kind of reporting perspective, a lot of people really like that too, because it's like really easy to tag and categorize stuff. Like this is my card for marketing. So, you know, with our platform, you can easily search for stuff, export transactions. You can see, I want to know how much I spent on marketing this month. 
you click a button, couple of buttons and you can see all the expenses that you had on your marketing card or on your Facebook and Google cards for the month. So a lot of really cool benefits that being able to create multiple cards offers to companies. Yeah, back in my American Express days, we used to do uh, purchase card programs. And this is one of the yeah. key features that people were looking for uh, because they would, again, it, it just depends how they want to organize, you know, the traveling uh, executive would have a plastic card to put things on, but then maybe they want the marketing department or even different cost centers within different departments would have their own card numbers issued. Uh, and occasionally I even saw specific cards for vendors. So that would be often done with like um, like the courier service, right? They, they give that one card number to the courier company and that would allow, you know, in particular with a lot of shipments, it made it easier at the end of the month. Someone could sit down with the statement and then start doing matching. For example, if they had to find some error or there was some something that didn't add up, it was all concentrated on one set of uh, statements because the courier company was only charging that one card. So it's, it's a very, very powerful tool. How how long has this been up and running then and available for people to use? Yeah, so this new platform that we call Loop actually is, is brand new. We launched it in beta in January, middle of January of 2022, so just a few months ago. Um, with it being a kind of banking and cards platform and payments platform, obviously there was a lot of heavy lifting from a build perspective uh, and a lot to get right there. So we launched that product in, in beta at the beginning of the year. And then a couple of weeks ago, um, we went live to the public. So we launched it um, so that any company can now sign up on our, on our website, um, which is getloop.ca is the, is the domain that we offer all these services through versus lendingloop.ca, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, and so with, with our new kind of loop platform, companies are now able to go in and sign up. And it's a, it's a really easy, you know, what, what I'll also say about it is, um, Signing up for our product, which gives you the same, if not better, functionality than the bank, is um, miles and miles apart from what it is to like to sign up for a bank account. You can actually get signed up and onboarded in five minutes. Um, it's it's really that easy and seamless to open an account with us, which is drastically different, as I'm sure most people know, from from opening up a bank account um, with a with a traditional bank, which you're often often going in person, bringing in documentation, waiting weeks. Um, so, so we really tried to you know, revolutionize how, how all of that happens when it comes to opening accounts. And so is there any kind of like monthly fee or anything that the customers are paying? Uh, no. Um, so yeah, the, the accounts are totally free. Um, the card product is totally free and the payments are totally free. The only way, the only time that companies pay any kind of like fee to us directly. So through those products, we have revenue streams, which are kind of on the back end. So the companies that are using the products don't actually pay us anything. Um, so you can access all this for free. Um, when The only time we charge you something is when you uh, carry any type of credit balance with us. So that credit balance could be on a card. Let's say you don't make your card payment in full by the due date um, and you roll that balance over. In that case, you're obviously bearing interest on that balance. And we also have various credit products that we offer as well. So. Um, we have a line of credit now that we've launched. So um, we, you know, originally we just offer term loans through LendingLeap. We now offer revolving credit facilities. So if you're looking to kind of do inventory purchasing or things that are kind of like shorter term in nature, where you buy something now, maybe you're selling it in 90 days, we offer a line of credit for that. And we also offer purchase order financing. So that's when a company, you know, has larger purchase orders coming in from a Walmart or a Target or, uh, you know, a Bed Bath & Beyond, somebody like that that's making purchase orders to the company, we can help them basically put all, get all the inputs ready so they can fulfill that. So those are two new credit products that we're now offering. And there's obviously an associated fee because you're taking on on credit from us. Um, so, so 
that's the only time that you would that you would pay us any any type of fees for the product. Okay. Um, years ago, when we spoke and you were first launching the the, the credit program, um, you had uh, you know to deal with a bunch of hassle with the securities commissions in the different provinces because under the rules at the time, you were technically offering a security for sale, and and that you know invokes all this requirement for prospectuses and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and you were able to negotiate some agreement with them. When, with this banking product, did you similarly get have to get involved in a lot of the banking regulator rules and everything? How was that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, to make a long story short, banking regulations and like securities regulations are actually quite different. Uh, there's a number of different regulators. So um, w we're regulated in a few different ways now. Obviously, from a securities perspective, we still have those licenses and that exists today in terms of how we raise capital, right? Um, but there's two other things that we now do. Um, the first is we're what's referred to as a money services business, um, which is effectively um, in the U.S. is referred to money transmitter business. What we're what that license allows us to do is send money on behalf of customers um, anywhere in the world or locally or anywhere in the world, right? So that's one regulatory license that we obtained ourselves in order to do this business. Um, we also had to uh, partner uh, on the back end with a number of different financial institutions as well. So we have uh, a few different financial institution partners that we work with. And this is kind of what we were talking about before. We aren't, you know, we aren't a bank. We aren't storing money on deposit ourselves um, of any customers. So we have agreements on the back end for kind of some of the, the money storage and the money flow. So, you know, when money needs to be stored somewhere, we have certain financial institutions, partners that do that. When money needs to be moved within Canada or within the U.S., we have other partners that do that. When it needs to be moved internationally, we have partners that do that. So we basically so they're, they're all licensed and everything. So you kind of get to ride on the coattails of, of everything that they've got in place. Essentially, yes. Like there's parts that like kind of fall under our regulatory licenses and then parts of it that fall under their regulatory licenses so we kind of like built a, a from a user perspective what's important is it all like works and looks like magic on the front end you click a couple of buttons and money moves from point a to point b but on the back end there's certain times where things are, are falling under our regulatory licenses and certain times where it's falling under that financial institution's regulatory licenses um just to give you like one example of that you know, um, we uh, are not able to issue our own MasterCards and do settlement with the MasterCard network. So we have a financial institution that we've partnered with to basically enable that flow. So they, they, they are what's called the issuer of the card. They technically issue that MasterCard. And then we manage the whole kind of program and we manage the relationship with the customers. We manage the actual settlements to the network. So we kind of do all of the, the heavy lifting, but we have a partner in the background that kind of like has those licenses to be able to issue cards. So now that you have obviously you've got banking partners in uh, in at least four different jurisdictions to allow for these four different currencies, do you have other ones on the horizon? Like, are you looking to grow the the number of uh, of different currencies that you can add to this mix? I, I would say in the medium term, yes. Like, I think in the short term, our focus is um, really starting to kind of like make sure our, our product offering is solid. Um, some of the features that I mentioned even are, are still in there in like kind of the later stages of beta. So like we're, we're making sure that all these flows work really well um, for all of our customers. And there's also some like new use cases we hear about now and then about, you know, I need to pay this, make this type of payment or I need to get paid in this way. So I'd say our short term focus right now is really just making sure that things are 
really smooth operationally for our customers and that like we do have a drastically superior experience to what it's like working with a traditional bank we think that's really important for us to differentiate ourselves so i'd say that that's the focus right now building features like you know integrations into your quickbooks the ability to like add other users to your account so they can manage your finances like all those types of things are kind of what we're focusing on right now in the medium term for sure like we definitely do want to operate this in in other markets um we want to offer other currencies we want to make it available to companies that are that are in other jurisdictions that have the same pain point so today we're just live in canada um you know there are u.s companies who sell into canada so the opposite kind of scenario that we spoke about spoke about um, we don't support that today, but that's something that obviously we would love to support those companies that need Canadian accounts. And obviously we have a lot of the underlying infrastructure already to be able to create those accounts and store those funds. So it's just a question of kind of building the, the, the you know, our program and our regulatory licenses in a way that allows us to do that. So I would say, you know, medium to long-term, that's definitely going to be the kind of next big area of focus for us. Well, you know, Kato, this is this has been a great conversation. I know people in the audience have been have been giving us a thumbs up, and 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 if you're watching, please hit the thumbs up because that helps the algorithm. And I keep I keep forgetting people to, to ask people to do that. But um, so if if people want to to learn more, if this sounds like a solution that is going to be helpful for them, and and really without any cost, it, it doesn't make sense to to do anything other than just try it. If you think that there's, there's a potential to be helpful. Um, the place to go is getloop.ca. Yeah, you got it. So it's uh, getloop.ca. Um, right now we're only available to businesses that are resident of Canada. Um, so, so that's, that is a restriction that we have, but um, yeah, I definitely, like, like you said, it's, it's a totally no fee um, product. There's no obligation. So you can go in, test it out, um, get a card with us and, and see whether or not you like it. Um, you know, a lot of companies will start out with us in that fashion and then kind of start to use us for more. Um, we've actually seen, interestingly, really high conversion too from people who start with us and then look at our financing products and say like, hey, this could also be helpful for my business. And, you know, there's no requirement on our end. We don't say, you know, because you're using us, you have to use us for financing. If you like someone else better or you have other arrangements, that's totally fine with us. Um, but we are seeing people as they start to see the value of our core products now start looking at financing. And we think hopefully in the future, that will be a, a big growth avenue for providing more capital to businesses as well. Well, this is awesome. I want to, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to come out and talk with us today. And um, I'm going to wish you the best of luck. And it's probably going to be something that I add here to my agenda to sign up and, and, and get on the platform and give it a whiz uh, my, on my, for my own benefit. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much for, for having me on today. It was uh, really great to have this be full circle, starting with what we spoke about all those years ago and uh, going into kind of what we've been up to. So this was, uh, this was an awesome conversation. All right, Cato. Thank you very much and have a great night, okay? Likewise. You too. All right. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me, with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs jeffalpod.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship 
anywhere you happen to be.